Welcome to another edition of Propping You Up. I'm your host, Man Preet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMA And oh my god, it's not Cody. It's my man, John Stargarian. You guys can follow him at MMA Fox on Twitter. If you guys did not see the last episode of Propping You Up, we let you guys know that right off the bat, uh, fight night episodes are going to be me and John now. Cody has way too much on his plate at the moment, but he is still uh, going to be gracing us with his presence for the pay-per-view episodes. Uh, and not to mention, he's also going to be sending me his three best prop bets so that I can obviously go over those at the end of the uh, stream as well. So get used to John's face. You guys are going to see it at least three times uh, a week here on my channel here on Propping You Up. And then obviously you guys can check him out also on Club and Sub. He's the ringleader over there of that circus of guys. But uh, I, I love watching the Club and Sub podcast. They usually do it Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern. So Make sure you guys go check that out. And, uh, yeah, this is the new fight night propping you up faces that you guys are going to get used to here with me and John. So, uh, John, first and foremost, what's going on, brother? Yeah, not a whole lot, man. I'm excited to get into this. I'm actually pretty excited for this card, to be honest. I know we're coming off a pay-per-view, but that wasn't really that fun, right? I think this one's a bit more fun than that card was. I agree. And I think a couple weeks ago, we had the Hall and Strickland card where everybody was shitting on it. But man, that fucking card delivered, man. Like, it's, yeah, you're, sure. you're not going to get much name value on this card as well, just like we weren't on the other card. But uh, the fights, I believe they will deliver. We have so many great fights matched up here. Uh, Saldana versus Lingo is a great fight. Roberts versus Ignacio is a great fight. And then most and most importantly, Pantoja and fucking Roy Val is going to be a phenomenal fight. What's the fight that you're looking forward to the most this weekend? I mean, Honestly, I think you have to say Pantoja Roy Val. Really, I'll tell you this: I'm looking for, I'm looking forward to the main event least of any fight on this card. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, other than that, probably Gita and Madsen, and we'll get into that. But I, I'm very excited for that fight. You're telling me you're more excited for William Knight and Fabio Charant over fucking Gaslam and Cannonier? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> Weird things happen when it's low level. It's fun. I don't think anything's <laughs> going to happen in that main event. And just as my guy Ryan Grant says here, Parker Porter the gloats on the card as well, so I can't <laughs> wait to watch that. Uh, I obviously am not at my normal setup. I'm actually out in Vegas. Most of you guys already know that. And as I was making my way to my hotel room, this caught my eye. So I'm like, obviously, I got to start my Las Vegas weekend off with this. Got me a nice cold Modelo Ooh, that I've never tried before. Right now. So let's fucking just crack that open real quick. Let's just. I am mm. jealous. Yummy in my tummy. I am so excited for this fucking weekend. I am intending on sustaining a buzz from this moment to the moment that I leave Las Vegas on Sunday. So you guys might get a sloppy uh, lock of the night for the ultimate weigh-in show tomorrow as well. <laughs> I haven't completed the guest there, but I'm uh, looking forward to announcing that as soon as I do. All right. Let's not waste too much more time. Uh, we are in a bit of a, a clock here or against the clock here. I want to get to the sports book so I can go and make some bets on PFL. And I believe PFL starts in just over an hour. So me and John are going to just ring through these matchups. It won't be as in-depth as me and Cody normally get. But when we come back for the next week's episode, it will be back to normally scheduled program. Uh, hour and a half to two hours of content. Me and John can fucking riff on all these matchups together. We already have great oh, yeah. chemistry. So I'm very much looking forward to this uh to this uh to this team and tandem that we put together so let's just fucking let it let, let's just get it going the first fight up that we got is Ramiz Brahimai versus Sasha Palatnikov and in terms of odds we're looking at 
Uh, Ramiz coming in at minus 140. A uh, little bit of money coming on him, it seems like. Yeah. Plus 120 is the return here on Sasha Palatnikov. Uh, way did I see this fight, pretty much? Ramiz early, Sasha late. You know what I mean? I know I don't think that's uh, Ramiz has as horrible cardio as Luis Cosi, but he definitely does slow down as the fight starts to wear on. However, I think he's in luck here, as I don't believe that Sasha Palatnikov's takedown defense is the greatest here. I think Ramiz, if he goes to, you know, how he used to fight in the regional scene, uh, you know, something that we didn't see last time when he went on and took on Max Griffin. I thought he can outstrike him. He almost lost an ear for that effort. But uh, here against Sasha, he should be able to drag this fight to the ground and quickly find a submission, probably in the first or second round. So obviously the props that I'm looking at here, the under two and a half is the one that I like the most um, in terms of a prop. And then in terms of me picking uh, Ramiz, plus 190 by sub. Uh, I could see a TKO situation, which is plus 1075. You know, we always have those scenarios where guys who have victories or passive victories to win by uh, grounding their opponents, it's either club and, or sorry, it's either a submission or a possible TKO when they just rain down blows. So I wouldn't mind a little bit of a sprinkle on Ramiz at plus 1075 on the TKO to potentially get a uh, ground and pound. But I think the best and safest way to play it is just cover them both. Plus 160 for Ramiz inside the distance, I think is a great line. And the last thing I'll say is Sasha Platnikov round three plus 1325 worth a little bit of a sprinkle and could possibly be a good live betting opportunity as well john how did i yeah. break that down do you agree for the most part yeah pretty much 100 percent. i guess the only concern that i'd have with ramiz is you look at that first fight he had in the ufc with griffin where he just looked like pretty much an entirely different fighter than what we saw his entire career before that where he just decided he was okay with losing a kickboxing match and I don't expect that to happen here. In fact, I know somebody who knows Ramiz who claims that he's going to grapple aggressively here. And so with that being the case, yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to think Ramiz early, Sasha late, more likely than not Ramiz early, to be honest. But even in the event that he does do what he did in the Griffin fight, Sasha's not the kind of guy who's going to give him kind of a tepid kickboxing match, right? He's going to go forward and throw. And so with that being the case and with neither guy having any kind of defense here, I really think... This is a pretty solid spot to end inside the distance. So if you're looking at fight props, you know, you can get won't start round three at about even money, which I actually think is pretty nice. I think it's nicer than the – I've seen under minus 125, minus 125. So the under is not bad either. But in terms of props that I agree, you know, I think you could double it up with both Ramiz and Sasha inside the distance. You're looking at like plus 160, plus 270 there. But just in general, I mean, I think taking a, a stab at Platnikov round three, like plus – plus 900 and then maybe comboing that up with uh brahimaj round one submission is a decent way to play it uh i believe ramiz round one submission is about plus 400 but yeah i mean i think that's the best way to do it if you're trying to cover all outcomes here obviously it doesn't yeah right obviously it doesn't cover all outcomes but i do think you know a large portion of ramiz's win equity is going to be tied to round one and you know, if you want to get, you could always play Sasha round two, three, but if you want to get really bold, you can play around three. Yeah, exactly. We're, we only shoot for round threes over here, John. You'll quickly find that out, uh, especially me. You, you you obviously know my uh, knack and uh, habit of playing those round three props. Even if I don't think the fighter's going to win, like this situation, I don't think Sasha's going to win. However, if he is, round three doesn't look too bad for us. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Ignacio Bahamondes going up against Roosevelt Roberts. Money coming in on Roberts steadily, minus 150, plus 130 is return on Ignacio Bahamondes. And I like me some Roosevelt Roberts in this spot. I think that there is some recency bias in this spot, especially considering how his last two fights have gone. But I want to give him some, you know, uh, some like uh, uh, a leeway for that, right? Like the Jim Miller fight, right. bad fight IQ moment, slips up. 
And, you know, I'm sure he learned from that. Uh, the uh, uh, Kevin Kroon fight. I absolutely believe that he overlooked him. I don't think he gave him any respect. I think, you know, the short notice nature of Kevin Kroon coming into that fight and then Roosevelt Roberts just being like, okay, I'm a minus 600. I should go in there. There's no way this guy's going to knock me in. Oh, shit. I'm getting club and subbed. Shout out to the club and sub podcast. But I do like him in this spot against Ignacio. Ignacio's not going to, you know, submit him or anything like that. I'd be very surprised yeah. if that happens. And I do think that there's going to be some sort of overcorrection in the fact that people think that Roosevelt Roberts is now chinny for some reason, where the only time he's ever shown any dur durability issues was that last fight against Kevin Crew. So I think we'll see him go out there, touch up Ignacio. Ignacio still seems to struggle with his distance management and, you know, getting hit. I know there's only two fights worth of statistical data on him on UFC stats, but he's throwing out seven strikes per minute and getting landed on six strikes per minute, which is not a good look at all. Uh, but again, very little data, so it's really hard to truly extract anything from that. But to see a guy like John McDessie, somebody that you were on, another guy that uh, Mr. Dog Hunter over here was on, John McDessie going out there and landing at will on Ignacio Pujamundas was not a good look. And I feel like Roosevelt Roberts, slicker boxer, kind of around the same height. I think there, he's at a one-inch height disadvantage. I think he should still be able to land, but I think it's going to be the grappling that's going to be the difference maker here. I think he should be able to ground Ignacio time and time again, whether it ultimately leads to a submission, which is a prop that I, I don't mind. Uh, Roberts by submission plus 345. I wish it was a little bit deeper than that, but I ultimately ended up picking Roberts by decision, which is currently sitting at plus 190. With that said, minus 150, I think, is still a gift of a line for him considering what his skill set is. And not to mention, this guy was a minus 245 favorite over Vince Michelle a couple of fights ago. Where did the, all this potential that we thought we had of this guy went, especially, uh, you know, if we're just talking about the Jim Miller and Kevin Crew fight? So there's always that overcorrection. And I feel like people are overcorrecting it here. And Roberts should probably be closer to minus 200, minus 250 in this spot. I'm saying Roberts by decision plus 190. How do you think this one goes down? Yeah, I mean... I think you nailed it on the overcorrection thing. You know, it's funny about the Kroon fight is when you back a really low-level guy as a plus 400 dog, I wish every plus four or 500 dog who's a low-level guy would just do what Kroon did, bite the mouthpiece and just go crazy because that's Justin really their James, best chance to right? win the fight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if Robert settles into that fight, he kills Kevin Kroon. Like, there's, there's no doubt in my mind about that. But he got clipped early, and that was that. And I agree. You know, you're seeing, like, a big-time buyback. Like, I was not that bull. I haven't been historically that bullish on Roberts as a fighter. But um, it's not that I hate his skills. He's got decent skills. I just kind of thought people talking about him as maybe a future top-five guy was a little much. Now he's getting treated as a borderline UFC guy, which doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. Uh, you know, he's faced a much better level of competition than Bahamundes did. I don't really rate Bahamundes much whatsoever. I appreciate the volume. I appreciate the size. But we've seen him get walked down by Salvador Becquero. We saw him get walked down by John McDessie. Uh, every time the guy's gotten put on his back, he's looked lost. And so, you know, while he throws a lot and he's big, Roberts is also big, and to your point, you know, he grapples quite well, uh, quite well for, you know, a guy who comes from a boxing background. And so I kind of think – you know, I think the obvious one, you know, when looking at props was Roberts by submission. But then you look a little closer. It's like a plus 350. I mean, that's not that much. And then you look at, you know, inside the distance to me. Roberts inside the distance is plus 250. And you might say, oh, you know, well, Roberts is not super likely to KO him. But, like, McDessie hurt him bad with the jab in yeah. round one of that fight. You know, Bahamundes doesn't have defense. And as long as this fight is in space, Roberts is going to touch him on the chin over and over and over again. And even on the ground, you know, you mentioned it last fight, you know, if Roberts gets into a dominant position, and I do think he'll find dominant positions on the mat here, you know, he might submit him or he might just choose to throw elbows or rain ground and pound. So, you know, with a gun to my head, I would pick submission in terms of a finishing method. But 
if you're gonna be plus 250 versus plus 350 i'd rather just cover the ko with that exactly i i feel like the inside the distance sometimes you just got to be a little bit cautious and safe with it rather than just picking that yeah. uh straight up that that's right problem the the one thing that i always get reminded of when that happens is when i had tyron woodley by ko over darren till and this guy mother decides oh, no. he pulls off the fucking dart stroke or whatever the hell he did last that night i was so pissed off I'm like ah i'm gonna get it <laughs> but uh gets with those short little arms too like how, how did he do that <laughs> God damn it. That was such a piss off. All right, let's keep things moving along here. We got Bea Maleki, minus 155, going up against Josian Nunez, plus 135. Uh, I, I like me some Bea Maleki in this spot. Actually, I think I skipped a fight. We'll get to the William Knight and Fabio Toronto fight right after that. But, uh, yeah, pretty simple fight to break down, right? Josian Nunez looks like a girl that wants to go out there and try to take your head off kind of plodding, uh, heavy-footed, not really as light on her feet like Veronica Macedo, which is a fight that a lot of people are looking back at and being like, look, you know, she got touched up by Veronica Macedo, but Macedo is a lot more energetic and bouncy, and, you know, she blitzes a lot more than Josie and Nunes. And Nunes, don't get me wrong, it's not like she's going to completely miss hitting uh, Bea Maleki in the face. She'll probably land a couple times, but I don't think there'll be as much power or pop on it. One thing I noticed a lot in Nunes' regional tape is that, like, she seems to be losing up until the point where the opponent gasses, and then she takes over and beats him that way. I think Bea Maleki has good enough cardio to stay competitive in this fight for the full 15 minutes, but I don't even think we're going to need 15 minutes here. I actually think Bea Maleki can get her out of there, especially if she can uh, wrap her up with that uh, Muay Thai plum and actually get those knees going. I think that seven-inch height advantage, seven-inch reach advantage is going to be huge here. And Bea Maleki, man, she does have some pretty good knees in that Muay Thai clinch. Obviously, world champion Muay Thai uh, competitor before coming on over to the MMA world. Um, but yeah, I like her in this spot. Maybe minus 155 at this point is a little bit too chalky, but I do like her here. So if that's why we're doing the prop show. Um, Maleki inside the distance, uh, plus 255. Maleki by KO, plus 410. Those are the two spots that I'd like. I also like the under two and a half because if Josie Nunes catches her on the chin and puts her away, plus 135 is not too bad of a line there. I, I believe you're on Bea Maleki in this spot, but how do you think she ends up getting it done? Yeah, I like Bea a good bit here, to be honest. Uh, you know, the bottom line is, I think you touched on it. Like I would take Veronica Macedo's skill set pretty happily over Josiane Nunez's. You know, you can say whatever you want about Veronica Macedo, but Macedo didn't actually look that bad against Malecki. She just, you know, got Malecki really, which is Malecki did what she does, which is just zombie like go forward and pump output. Uh, I think Macedo's a better striker than Josiane Nunes is. To your point, Nunes is losing most of her fights on the regional scene until she's not, and she is not fighting girls who are ever going to sniff the UFC, not even going to get close to it. Most of those girls are having two fights and they're done. And now she's here fighting Malecki. And look, she's going to touch Malecki here. I think she'll hit her. She'll probably have some success standing. But the bottom line is Malecki is way bigger. I think she's got seven inches of height, seven inches of reach. And we know that she is not going to fade and she's just going to keep doing it over and over, going forward, working the clinch, working knees. And so I like Malecki. I think her, I think her experience, even though there's not as many fights, it's more relevant and more high level than what we're seeing from Nunes. I think she's more durable. She throws more output. Those are just cheat codes in WMMA. In terms of props for the fight, you know, it's kind of weird because, like, on the one hand, like, I was kind of tempted by Maleki inside the distance, and I thought about it a little bit more, and I'm like, man, it's a WMMA fight. Like, Maleki, Macedo was completely gassed out in round three, and Maleki didn't put her away. So I'm seeing goes to decision minus 135 for this fight in a WMMA fight where I know Maleki's durable and she didn't put Macedo away. So to me, goes the distance is tempting, even though it's a favorite number. And if you really want to play her inside the distance, I actually think Maleki by submission at like plus 800 is interesting because when Maleki does get on the mat, she does look to, you know, sink hooks in and look for submissions. 
Yeah, no, she definitely does get get under the chin quite often for a couple of her points. I think she has two wins on her on her record with with that rear naked choke specifically. I'm still trying to figure out whether she's two and zero or four and zero because on topology it says she's two and zero, and then on four and zero it takes a couple of the amateur fights and makes the pro fights and make her four and zero. So uh, I have her as two and zero in all my graphics. I'm always going by topology. That is yeah, now the Bible. RIP, sure dog, it is what it is, but I love you some topology. I'm glad that we're actually on the same side here as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got uh, Fabio Schrant going up against William Knight, minus 170 for William Knight. The line is significantly dropping, especially considering that he was minus 275 favorite uh, as the opener. Everybody's on that Schrant side just to get the money down, and I feel as though it's just... You know, we're betting numbers here. Where you know, both guys don't really bring too much to the table in terms of skill sets and you know, blowing each other out of the water. I know Fabio Schrant has a decent submission game, but you know, with an asterisk. Uh, and then William Knight, on the other hand, just wants to push you up against the cage, drag you to the ground, and just smother you when he can. When you see these guys score off, it looks like they were going to want to take each other's heads off, and people might be spamming the under in this spot, but. Watch the tape. You know that these guys are a little bit more slow and plotting. Don't mind, you know, going over that one and a half mark. And I think that's probably the spot that I'm going to be looking at here. Um, minus 150, again, a little bit chalkyish for, well, let me see if the line has actually moved. Uh, over one and a half, minus 150, yeah. Um, a little bit chalky, but it feels like this should be a slow, grueling fight, just as all William Knight fights are. And even Fabio Schrant, they seem to have a lack of urgency. Uh, I'm still picking Schrant to win this fight. Again, it's more odds-based than anything. Uh the only money that I'm putting on this fight is the over one and a half. If you want to talk about uh, who specifically, Schrant by decision plus 435, not too bad of a spot, I think. But the over one and a half at least covers a victory on either side. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, I mean, look, I've been very vocal about my dislike for William Knight's game. And that I don't really, I think his striking is amateurish. And I think his wrestling is pretty amateurish as well. But with that said, you know, he is strong and he is going to initiate grappling a lot. And, like, I don't really – like, you know me. I love to chase dogs, but I, I don't really see it with Charant. Like, sure, Knight doesn't have a lot of defense. Charant could knock him out. I guess he could catch a guillotine. But, like, I look at Charant's grappling. It's like he's got a bunch of guillotines against really bad fighters. You know, he got – the guy got Von Flew last fight. Like, that is that does not generally happen to decent grapplers. You know what I, I mean? I have Lonzo Manifield of all people yeah. too, right? And so, like, I just don't – I don't really see it with Charant. Like I, what I'm looking for in a guy to beat William Knight is a guy who's just going to defend takedowns and keep a decent output. Charant may defend takedowns here. I don't really know. I don't trust his output. He has almost none. And in terms of how it's going to go, like Knight's got a bunch of finishes on the regionals, but again, they're against mostly bad fighters. And he hasn't looked like he hits that hard professionally. And so I do side on the Knight side here. I, I can't lay the chalk here with him, though. I mean, that's crazy, especially with how anti-Knight I am. But what I do think is interesting is Knight by decision is about plus 350. And I don't think he has like Menafield catching a Von Flew is an all time like meme moment. But I don't really think Knight has much of a submission game in his back pocket. And so I kind of think a Knight win likely looks a lot like the camera fight. Just, you know, a bunch of takedowns from the clinch holding him there, maybe some ground and pound. But yeah, I mean, I think Knight's decision, I think he wins by decision more than. 50% of his wins by a good portion. So I think plus 350 night decision would be the best prop I like in this fight. I like it. I like it. Um, just throwing it out there, the last time, uh, or actually for Alonzo Menafield last time, uh, I'm seeing between plus 2,000 and plus 1,200 for him to win by uh, submission against Fabio Schrant that time. So if anybody called that, shout out to you guys. But 
Let's be honest. Nobody was doing that unless it was a mistake. All right, let's move on to this next fight here. This one I'm excited to hear your, your take on. Uh, we got Brian Kelleher going up against Domingo Polarte. In terms of odds, we got minus 170-ish for Kelleher, plus 150-ish is the return on Domingo Polarte. I like me some Brian Kelleher here, man. I think that uh, with Domingo Polarte, he's a little bit uh, restricted with his striking. You know, I mean, it looks good. You know, he throws a nice high kick and he throws a nice left hand down the middle. But outside of that, he seems very wild on the feet. Uh, he doesn't seem like a guy that could, you know, maintain a pace that Hunter Azure was trying to put on uh, Brian Keller. You know, Brian Keller, who was having some trouble early in that fight against Hunter. And then it seemed like Hunter really started to slow down. And then that's when Brian Keller was able to catch up to him and eventually knock him out. I think the same thing could have could happen here if Domingo Plarte is unsuccessful in terms of dragging this fight to the ground. Uh, I've been saying it all week. I was on Brian Kelleher's uh, uh, IG stream, not on it, but just asking a question to him. And I asked him, I'm like, what do you rate Domingo Polarte's wrestling in comparison to the other wrestlers that you've been fighting recently? And he goes, I don't think he's going to use it that offensively because he's so tall, right? It's going to be harder for him to get in on the hips and secure these takedowns. Uh, so he thinks he's going to use it more defensively than offensively. And then if we're talking about how Domingo's going to win this fight, other than that... Because it seems like he, you know, he relies on his grappling a lot to win his fights. If he goes out there and out, tries to outstrike Brian Keller, I think that's going to be a bad move for him. As I absolutely believe that this guy still has a bad cardio issue. If you watch some of his regional fights, and you know, there are certain times where you see him just like hands on knees, bending over, huffing and puffing, not a good look at all. And he's going to need all that cardio if he's going to go out there and try to outstrike Brian Keller. Sure, he could win the first round, maybe the first round and a half, but I think it's ultimately going to catch up to him. Brian Keller will start to lay that pressure, some of those punches, kicks, and then obviously that boom power. And I think I will actually see Keller actually finish him probably second or third round in this fight. So I really like Brian Kelleher in this spot. Um, there is a possible desperation takedown from Domingo Plarte, and we know what that goes right into with uh, Brian Kelleher. Kelleher obviously has a submission up his sleeve. So I would rather take uh, Kelleher inside the distance, which is now plus 110. It was plus 125 earlier this week. Covers both sides. I'm not sure if he's going to get the sub or KO, club and sub, whichever it is, but I think he's going to finish him here. We can even go as deep as talking about the rounds. I don't think it will happen in round one. But round two, Kelleher is plus 475. Round three, Kelleher is plus 900. So the bookies are definitely privy on the fact that Polarte seems to have a bit of a gas tank issue. The last thing I'll say about this fight, I know he won the third round against Felipe Clars, but that was a very uh, energy-saving type of position that he was in with that uh, with that background that he had. He just had the hooks, or sorry, the, uh, the body triangle locked on, and Polarte couldn't do anything about it, and it didn't even seem like Polarte was doing much with it in terms of seeking uh, submissions or anything like that. It seemed like he kept his activity level low, which is why I think he was able to you know, maintain that position as long as he did for that third round. If that fight was on the feet, I think he's getting knocked the fuck out, to be honest. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, I mean, this matchup kind of spooks me a little bit, to be honest, because it kind of going into tape here, I was almost certain I was going to bet Kelleher. I, you know, I just don't really rate Pilarte that much. But, like, coming out of it, I still, like, I could never bet Pilarte at plus 150. Like, I, th I would need a much better number than that just because he is so untested and he is so defensively void. Like, you know, he's maybe one of the only guys who's def as defensively void as Kelleher is, and I just think Kelleher is a much more proven fighter. But... I do worry a bit about, you know, the size and length of Polarte causing Kelleher some issues here. And, you know, as such, you know, something I think is interesting, I wouldn't be totally shocked if this is somewhat tepid, you know, in the pace that fight spot at here. But I, I think Keller, I expect Kelleher to be a bit better technically everywhere. But I also don't think, you know, it's going to turn into a brawl either, especially with Polarte's gas issues. And so something I was looking at, 
that I think is kind of interesting is Kelleher by decision is around plus 400 on some books here. And like, I get Kelleher's got a bunch of submissions in his career, but I mean, is he going to sub Polarte? Like most of his subs are guillotines or arm bars. And that, I don't think that's likely, you know, he could knock him out for sure. And Polarte does keep his chin high in the air, but if the fight, you know, I, I like I said, I have this feeling it's going to be fairly slow paced. And if that's the case, you know, I kind of think it's a decent bet to go the distance here. So I kind of like Kelleher's decision here. Interesting. I'm glad that you at least like Kelleher to win because <laughs> I, I'd really like Kelleher to win as well. Let's just leave it at that. All right, let's move on to this next fight. We got, uh, where are we at? Uh, Luis Saldana going up against Austin Lingo. Very interested to hear your thoughts about this one as well. But we got minus uh, 120 for Luis Saldana. Talk about money coming in on Austin Lingo. Luis Saldana opened up as a minus 175 favorite, down to minus 120. And uh, should be a striking matchup for the most part, right? I think uh, if anybody's yeah. going to be shown for takedowns, it's probably going to be Lingo. But I don't think that you can compare his takedowns to what Jordan Griffin was able to just successfully do last time against Luis Aldana. Um, I think people might be confusing that as well. I think people saw Austin Lingo, you know, have some grappling in his fight against Jacob Kilburn, and they'll probably believe that he could probably do the same thing here. But I think he's going to struggle to do so effectively against Luis Aldana. I think the best way for uh, Lingo to win is just march forward but you know cut off the cage a little bit better it seems at times he just gets a little bit too lackadaisical and just allowing his opponent to kind of just circle a little bit too well uh and i think he's going to struggle you know to 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 maintain the pressure and the distance against a guy who fights as well off of his back foot as Luis Saldana does. I think Saldana will do a good job with his kicks, his punches. He has great combinations down the middle, great kick up the middle, not to mention his spinning back kick to the body. Uh, so I think he'll be able to keep Austin Lingo at distance. Uh, but, you know, one shot from Austin Lingo could absolutely change things. I would honestly be a little bit surprised if Lingo wins this fight by decision. I think that the the volume will probably come from the Saldana side, at least the more effective looking volume, whereas Austin Lingo is probably just going to be whiffing at air for the majority of this fight. And I think that um, uh, Lingo inside the distance is probably the best way to bet this fight if you're betting Lingo at all, plus 280 for him to win inside the distance. Uh, and then for me personally, what I'm going to be picking is Saldana by decision, plus 255, because by all accounts, you know, I'm uh, Lingo's still quite young in his career, uh, but it seems like he has pretty good durability. He's eaten some big shots in the past. I don't know if Austin or if Luis Saldana will have that knockout power here. So I'm going Saldana, Saldana by decision. I think that plus 245, I'm sorry, plus... Uh, Plus 255 is a very solid line as well. How do you feel about this one? Yeah, so I, I do agree with someone winning by decision, but I don't agree with it being Saldana, to be honest. I'm actually okay. kind of pondering a play on Lingo on the money line. I, I mentioned it on my podcast last night. I'm a bit annoyed at it because it was plus 130 last week, and all I saw were people betting Saldana, and I was like, oh, I'm going to get plus 150 here. And then I wake up the next morning, and it's plus 110. Um, so I've been kind of praying it would go back up, and it hasn't. But, yeah, I mean, I think – I don't want to say I'm bullish on Lingo as a fighter. I'm not bullish on him. But I do think, you know, in terms of, like, what his best skills are, I actually think he's a pretty damn good boxer, you know, when he can force the pocket. And I actually don't think, despite the Zalal fight, that he's really horrible at cutting off the cage. You know, he slowed down fast in that fight. And the bottom line is Zalal does do a decent job moving laterally. Like, you know, he's not a super sharp striker, but he moves laterally very well. 
And I'm not really sure Saldana can do that. Like, I actually think Lingo's a much better boxer than him. And so the question is, can, you know, Saldana mimic this law game plan? But, like, we have a fight to kind of draw data from, which was Zalal against Griffin and Saldana against Griffin. And Griffin couldn't like, couldn't get Zalal in the pocket pretty much that entire fight, whereas he was basically able to just sprint at Saldana, chase him down, and force exchanges throughout that fight. And, you know, seeing that, I'm like, well, if Griffin could do it, I kind of trust Lingo's footwork more, a lot more than I trust Griffin's footwork. Like, I think he'll be able to force exchanges here. I don't really rate Saldana's grappling much at all. And, you know, even if he could land takedowns, you know, Zalal is a decent submission grappler. Saldana is not really. I don't really think so. And if Zalal couldn't hold Lingo down much, I don't think Saldana is going to. And so, like, I actually favor Lingo in this matchup. And I think... I mean, look, he could knock Saldana out, but also I kind of think the general dynamic, especially what we saw at the Griffin fight, right, is Saldana doesn't really want to engage in big exchanges. You know, that seems pretty clear. And so if that's the case and he's not going to just let Lingo open up a big combinations, I actually think betting Lingo by decision is pretty interesting here because I do think he has the front foot optics on him. I do think he's going to have more success with his hands and with head strikes. And by decision, it's plus 300. And like we saw it with last fight where, you know, everybody, myself included, bet the under against Kilburn and that went the distance. Um, you know, he can win a decision and I kind of think he's going to here. All right. I, I can definitely see the argument for sure, especially if he's successful in tracking down Saldana and actually getting, getting his hands off and uh, lighting some big strikes. I think that if he does successfully do that, he'll probably knock his ass out. That's that's kind of my concern there. But okay. I, I can definitely see your see your approach for this one as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight. Uh, first fight on the main card. And before I do that, I want to remind you guys, we got about 80 people in here right now. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe. And then I forgot to do it this time, but I was going to drop the club and sub link in the description below. So make sure you guys go on YouTube, club and sub podcast, and subscribe to those guys over there. Again, every Wednesday night, uh, John, uh, Legs, uh, Luke sparring with reality betting, and sometimes C, the ever globe trotting C, uh, is going to be on that show. So make sure you guys go check them out. Love these guys. Very, very solid and sharp dudes. All right. Main card time. And I can't believe they're actually starting off with this fight. I might have to go back to my hotel and change my pants and come back to the Apex. But Alessandro Pantoja versus Brande motherfucking Roy Val. We got minus 180 ish on Alessandro Pantoja and plus 160 here on Brandon Roy Val. And I've already made it my dog of the night play. I'm going with the under in this fight. Under two and a half at plus 125. I think mixing Brandon Roy Vow's chaotic style of fighting. I like to call him mini, mini Tony Ferguson because it's just like they don't really show much technical skill, but they just create chaos and they're able to thrive in that chaos. And more often than not, they come out with their hand raised, just as we saw in the Kai Car France fight for Brandon Roy Vow. Like his 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 reaction for getting hit and rocked is to throw a spinning elbow instead of a takedown. Like, who the fuck does that? Nobody. Brandon Roy Val does that shit. Um, but yeah, I think that this fight's going to be high-paced from the get-go. And not to mention, it wasn't that long ago that a lot of people believed that Alexandre Patoja had cardio issues. If he still does, this is the fight that it's going to show because Brandon Roy Val is going to put on a pace that Alexandre Pantoja will struggle to keep up with unless that his technical striking actually you know catches Roy Val uh, when he's trying to close the distance doing some of the weird and crazy shit that he does. Um, I know when these guys have lost, not a lot of those have come via finish, but I think that the way that these guys match up specifically here, the uh, the chaotic nature that Brandon Roy Val brings and you know the finishing abilities of Pantoja and even uh, Roy Val himself. I think it would lead to a finish here. I'm actually leaning on the pant or sorry, the uh the Roy Val side. I think that he could club and sub him probably in the second or third round in this uh in this fight. 
so I would actually more so look at the rounds for Roy Val than actually the method. Because again, could be TKO, could be ground and pound, could be club and sub or a submission of any sort. But Roy Val round two is plus 775. Roy Val round three is plus 1525. Gotta take a shot on that. I, I just think that uh, if he can survive early here against Pantoja, he could make it very difficult for him late and possibly finish him as well. Bring me back down to earth because I feel like I'm very high on Raw Dog here. How do you feel about this matchup? it's a tough one because like, again, Roval's a guy I've been very vocal about not really liking his game, except something I've kind of come around to is, you know, some guys, like I think you touched on the Tony Ferguson thing, you know, they're not very technical. They're not great grapplers and they're not you know great strikers, but they bring a ridiculous amount of pressure and volume. And that kind of style is very hard to deal with, especially if you're like, you saw in the car of France fight, like car of France yeah. did not want the war. He didn't want to bite down and he didn't really have, you know, the technical ability to kind of, stay on his bike there and then once he tried to grapple he got submitted um pantosh is weird because you know i can't if it wasn't for the askarov fight i'd probably bet him here even on the money line but that fight did happen and he gassed out bad in that fight and it was two fights ago for him and then he was so low volume against cop that we didn't really get to see whether or not that was you know a thing now so that scares me and it's enough to deter me from the money line especially because i think pantosh's best path here is probably grappling and the guy never grapples. So, you know, I, I think he's probably going to stand. But with that said, I do think Pantoja is the more skilled fighter everywhere. And I do think, while I agree with your point, I think Roy Val, if he can get out of the early portion of this fight, can probably take over and potentially finish. I do not think the chances, well, I shouldn't say they're not great. I think there's a very high chance, though, of Pantoja putting him out early here. Pantoja is a more technical striker, and unlike the guys Rivales face to date, Pantoja, as we've seen, as we saw in the Davidson Figueiredo fight, is not afraid of the war. You know, he is willing to bite the mouthpiece and let his hands go. You know, he's done it too many times for his own health, to be honest. But, you know, in terms you know, if they're going to swing, and I think there's a good chance they will, Pan uh, Rival is much more hittable than Pantoja is, and he keeps his chin up in the air. And so I favor Pantoja here everywhere. Like I said, I have concerns about cardio. I wouldn't play him on the money line. He should win this fight, and I actually think. If you want to bet him playing the KO line, a plus 450 is pretty nice because I do think if he stands in there and lets his hands go, he's got a very strong chance to take Roy Val out. I like it. Again, as long as I'm under two and a half hits, your boy's happy. That's all I'm going <laughs> to say. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next fight here. This one is a pick on pretty much. Uh, we got Austin Hubbard going up against Vince Michelle, and I feel like there's just some sort of – uh, fog in people's minds as I believe that Pichelle should probably be a little bit bigger of a favorite in this spot. We know the the unfortunate booking that uh, Austin Harbour has been taking over his last six fights with the exception of the uh, the Kyle Prepolik fight. Shout out Kyle Prepolik, uh, Canadian. Uh, but Davey Hamosh, fucking Joe Selecki, Marco Madsen, Dakota Bush, even on short notice, they still find a fucking grappler for him. <laughs> and now, uh, Mr. Vince Pichelle. Uh Pretty easy fight to break down, right? You got Austin Hubbard who wants to keep this fight vertical, get his kicks off, get his striking off. Vince Pichel has serviceable enough striking where I think he could stay competitive in the striking realm. But I think that if it stays in that realm for the full 15 minutes, Austin Hubbard will probably come out with a win. However, I do think we'll see Pichel actually successful in takedowns here, controlling the fight, you know, dragging into the ground or even clinch positions up against the cage. He's shown even at 38 years old that this guy can still scramble pretty well, still do uh, land pretty good takedowns. And I think the, the 38 is kind of... Well, slightly offset 
considering the fact that Vince Michelle only has 15 pro MMA fights. There's not a lot of fight miles on this guy's record or, or on his body. So I think he's not like other 38 years old who have, you know, 40, 30 or 40 fights on the record. Uh, Michelle has half of that. So the spot that I actually really like the most here. I think everybody can agree that this fight is probably going over two and a half, right? It's minus 270 what the line is. But I think whoever wins will probably win by decision in this spot. And I like Pichel by decision at plus 170. I think his money line is great as is. But again, this is a fucking prop show. So how do I think he's going to win? I think he's going to be by decision. Plus 170, not too bad. But you might as well fire on the money line in case he does decide to snatch up a submission or a TKO of some sort. But my favorite prop plus 170 on uh, Vince Michelle via decision, or if you want a chalky spot to parlay or something, minus 270 on the over two and a half. I think that somewhat safe. How, how do you feel about this matchup? So let me throw a curveball at you here, Locke. How about okay. that? Okay, that's <laughs> what I like. I, I also like Vince Michelle here. I'm probably going to bet him. Hubbard Line's been taking money all week. I'm kind of just hoping Michelle's going to move to underdog. And I agree with most of what you said. You know, I would give Hubbard a slight edge on the feet. You know, he's a decent striker, and he's probably going to have a pace advantage and has a bit more tools than Michelle does. But to your point, you know, the bottom line is, and I've seen takes that Hubbard's improved his grappling, and I just don't really buy it. You know, we saw a half-dead Dakota Bush take his back in round three of his last fight. And... We know historically Pichelle is going to attempt six, seven takedowns for 15 minutes and land, you know, three or more. And with that being the case, you know, I have to favor Pichelle to win the fight. And then, you know, from a prop perspective, what does Hubbard always do whenever any – if he stops a takedown and he gets forced to the fence, he doesn't disengage. In fact, he has a very, very specific tendency, which is give his back right away. Gives up a body lock, gives his back up. It happens almost every fight whenever someone tries to take him down. And, you know, Pichelle, he's not a great submission grappler, but, you know, I think, I believe he's a brown belt. You know, he knows what he's doing. And I do think the chance of him getting Hubbard's back a couple times in this fight is fairly high. And so with that being the case, you know, I'm looking at this right now. Now, Pichelle's sub is only, I think it's plus 800 on five times, which is kind of whatever. But if you have DraftKings or BetMGM, I'm seeing Pichelle's sub at plus 2,000 right now. And fuck. Yeah. yeah. And to me, that is, I mean, that that's nutty. So, I mean, that would be, you know, that that would be my way to play this in terms of a prop outside of the Pichelle money line. But, yeah, I mean, I think Pichelle has all the skills that have troubled Hubbard to date in the UFC, and I expect him to win this fight. The last time Vince Pichelle has pulled off a sub – is not even on topology. Does he even have a submission? Does he, does he have a submission victory on his record? Let's well, he's see. due, right? <laughs> is that what we're calling? He has a grand total of zero submission victories on his record. He has eight KOs out of his 13 victories. So maybe he will decide to go with the uh, ground and pound more so than the sub. But just for you, John, I'm going to hope that he goes for the sub just in case. Davi Hamas right? didn't submit Hubbard, but Vince Fischel will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. There's, there's all the narrative that you need, brother. All right, uh, let's move on to Trevin Jones, who has just been cursed to shit because he can never get a fucking opponent. He's going up against Saeed Yokob Kakramanov, who's stepping in on short notice. Uh, he is actually the sorry, he is actually the uh, CFFC bantamweight champion who never defended his title. He was a minus five hundred against the guy that he was fighting, so obviously he's going to win that fucking fight. But he never actually ended up defending the title. So I think there's always something to be said about those types of guys. But here he is coming in against Trevin Jones. And goddamn, talk about that uh, line movement uh, earlier, right? Like I think we saw Trevin Jones open up as a minus 300 favorite. And he got quickly bet down to a, 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 uh, an underdog around plus 114, plus 110. We saw the line. And now he's starting to even out over there at minus 140. 
return on Kakramanov is plus 120. Uh, I was kind of impressed from what we saw from Kakramanov considering the short notice nature of this fight, right? This isn't a Justin James by any means, right? This isn't a who's that guy that tested positive for cocaine and got oh finished. god, uh, Dequan, you know what I'm Dequan, about, right? Um, no, 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 there was another guy, uh, he was like Ecuadorian. He was like Ecuadorian or some shit, low level, uh, lower weight class. Either way, the guy, you know, Garagori? he got absolute. Uh, no, not Gary Gory. There's somebody else. Ah, man, somebody Bad in the chat's gonna know. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> it, I think he was like a 25 or 35. I feel like he lost to Gustavo Lopez. I think Lopez is the one who he stepped in and fought and then eventually got finished. Somebody in the Ronderos, there you go, hype MMA. Uh, one well, Carlos lost to Gustavo Lopez, he won't be yes. in the UFC. <laughs> Juan Carlos <laughs> Ronderos tested positive for cocaine. Shout out to my guy Hype MMA. This is not a Juan Carlos Ronderos. This is a kid that could well, more than likely, get a couple wins inside the UFC. He has a judo background. Seems to have some decent grappling. Uh, a little bit wild with the striking, but definitely has some power in his hands, as we saw in the second last fight against Askar Askar. Um, and I, I think this is going to be a fun fight, but the spot that I'm going to be looking for most, and it doesn't look like best fight, best fight odds uh, actually has any of the props out for this fight, so it's going to be interesting to see how we break this one down. But I think if they set the over-under at 2.5, I'm going to be looking at taking the under here because I do think that both guys have finishing capabilities. I think it's actually going to be Trevin Jones, though, that finds that knockout blow here. Um, I haven't always been the highest on Trevin Jones, but he's definitely gaining the respect of us, especially, you know, plus 300 favorite in his first fight against uh, uh, Timur Valiev, plus 200 against fucking Mario Bautista and he was just about to be another underdog year uh, uh, against Saeed but then the public you know smartened up a little bit and gone back to a minus 140 um, again I think this fight is violence pretty much I think Saeed's going to come into this knowing that he doesn't have the cardio to go a full three rounds so let me go out there and try to get this done with and I think he's ultimately going to get end up getting caught uh, I like Trevin Jones again no no prop set I'm probably going to take the under two and a half as one of my unofficial on track bets um, but Trevin Jones by KO is the one that I'll, I'll be looking at. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I thought the opening line was pretty close to correct, to be completely honest with you. And like, I, I don't hate Kak Romanov, but I think something that's kind of – we look at tape and we take fighters in a vacuum. We're like, oh, you know, look at how he fights. He shouldn't be lying like this without really considering – you know, first of all, there's a pretty substantial experience gap. There's a UFC experience yeah. gap. Kakramanov's had cardio issues in the past, and now he's taking this fight on three days' notice. Um, he hasn't been training for him. And so, meanwhile, Trevin Jones said seven fights canceled in the last two months, so the guy's been doing nothing but training. So it's like it, – it's a horrible spot for him to begin with uh, on that end. I do think he can be competitive early in the fight, but I also think eventually – if he goes at the pace he needs to to be competitive, I don't think his cardio can hold up for three rounds here. And I do think eventually Jones is just going to take over this fight. Whether that's KOing him on the feet, I'm not sure. But because Jones is actually, you know, it's kind of funny because we haven't really seen much of it in the UFC, but Jones actually comes from a grappling background and he's actually a pretty decent grappler. And I sort of think, you know, when Kakramanov's tank starts to go, he probably gets him down. And I don't know if he subs him, but I think he probably finishes him on the mat at some point. Um, I just think Jones is a much more proven fighter than Kakramanov is. In terms of what I'd be looking to play, I agree with you. I think the under is good because I do think if the Kak it does cover the Kakramanov win condition, I'd be a bit surprised for his cardio to hold up long enough for him to win two rounds here, even though Jones can be a bit low output. But, yeah, I mean, it's a huge experience gap. I'll be curious to see the numbers, but the under 2.5, we get a decent plus number on it, I'd be interested in. Yeah, I think that we're going to get some – I'd be surprised if he um... – 
I'd say plus 150-ish Jones KO is probably going to be the line. I've seen a lot of people already talking about it. They're like, I'm going to take Jones by KO. And I think we'll see that the uh, the odds makers are going to be pretty privy to that and uh, hop on that as well. All right, let's move on to the third fight of the night and probably people's main event here. We got Parker Porter going up against Chase Sherman. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus uh, 190 for Sherman, plus 165 for Parker Porter. Uh, I feel like this is... Uh, a Chase Sherman early Parker Porter rounds two and three possibly. Yeah, I mean, I think Sherman needs to get him out of there. Otherwise, I think he's going to uh, struggle to deal with the style of Parker, right? Like Parker, as much of a joke as he is within this MMA betting community, he still has solid skill set in terms of being like a heavyweight at this level. And I feel like Chase Sherman is roughly around this level as well. He absolutely honey dicked me with that Ike Villanueva performance, man. Like, I'm like, oh, this guy looked fucking phenomenal. And then, like, I remember Dan from Best Fight Odds uh, messaged me right after. He goes, dude, steroids. I'm like, oh, yeah, shit. Totally <laughs> he got popped by steroids after that. So I did wind it back a little bit. But we definitely saw the effects in the Andre Arlovsky fight, right? Like, he was marching Arlovsky down for the majority of that fight, but he just wasn't throwing anything. Andre Arlovsky was winning that fight off his back foot. And I feel like Parker Porter here could almost do the same thing in terms of he doesn't have the better or he doesn't have comparable footwork to Andre Arlovsky. We got to absolutely state that out there. But I think his ability to, you know, rush forward with a couple of blitz attacks, you know, throw some punches that is actually going to start swaying the judges or even, you know, engage in the clinch, push him up against the cage. He definitely did that a couple of times against Josh Parisian to, you know, win minutes and win some seconds. Uh, he has a good leg kick as well, which I think will be very important for him here, especially to take the power off the punches of Chase Sherman. But I think if Chase Sherman doesn't get him out of there early, I think I think this is Parker Porter's fight, man. And, and again, I'm not trying to say this just to be the Parker Porter fucking guy, but uh, I, I think we saw – uh, a lot from Chase Sherman last time that if he wasn't able to hurt, drop, or even rock Andre Arlovsky at all, I think, you know, maybe the USADA stuff that he was on was helping him. Last thing I'll say about this Chase Sherman down at Sanford MMA, he's making a change. Hopefully, he goes back to maybe kicking calves like he was doing against Ike Villanueva because I expect him to do that against Andre Arlovsky. And it was Arlovsky doing the calf kicking, which was surprising to me. Uh, I think Parker Porter is going to be attacking the leg as well. Very interesting to see how this fight plays out. I think the line's a little bit too wide. I know there's a ton of people who are super confident on Chase Sherman, uh, but I think that there's a, the, the, this is a little bit too wide. So obviously the way that I'd be attacking this, uh, over one and a half, minus 165, a little bit chalky, but Parker Porter be, via decision plus 435, you're damn right. And if you don't hear me cheering for Parker Porter during this fight, you guys are more than welcome to slap me afterwards. Lock, if I hear you cheering for Parker Porter during this fight, I'm going to be pretty unhappy with you. <laughs> break it down, brother. Break it down. So I actually do like Chase Sherman a good bit here, to be honest, uh, which I know it's so out of character for me because I love playing underdogs and now I'm laying juice on Chase Sherman, Chase fucking Sherman here. But I don't I guess for me to convince me that this line is short or, you know, it should be a competitive fight. You have to tell me that Porter's going to have big time grappling success. And I don't really like he's an okay grappler on top, but I don't think his wrestling is that great. And he's also not a guy who's going to come out and attempt, you know, eight, 10 takedowns. And so I think most of the fight's going to largely play outstanding and standing. Look, yeah. I mean, Sherman doesn't have much defense. That's true, but he is very durable. Uh, Porter also doesn't have much defense and I don't think he's that durable. And so when I'm looking at the two of them, I think there's a big technical edge for Sherman, both in terms of the calf kicks and just his boxing in general. And like I said, I think he's a big durability edge. I think he has a pretty big power edge. And so I, you look at the guys who have beaten Chase Sherman in his career, and I mean, all of them would handle Parker Porter with fair, with 
relative ease, which doesn't mean Sherman necessarily will, but I sort of think he will. I think his attritional work is going to be a little bit too much for Porter. I think it's going to look a lot like the Dawkins fight, if I'm being completely honest. And I think he's going to get him out of there relatively early. Look, it could get dicey if it gets late, but Sherman's got a lot of output. And again, I just, I trust the experience edge. I trust the level edge. I trust the technical edge that he has here. So, I mean, I like Sherman a good bit. Um, in terms of what I'd play, I like Sherman KO plus 150. And if we're being completely honest, I think a significant portion of that KO equity is round one, which is plus 300. Uh, and so I like Sherman in round one. I like Sherman KO. But yeah, I think he's going to take care of business here. The Vanilla Gorilla is back. <laughs> look at look at fucking John all, all heavy on uh, Chase Sherman here. But I get it. Uh, the, the durability issue of Parker Porter is a bit of a concern for me here. Uh, however, I'm ranking Chris Delkis way higher than uh, Chase Sherman at this time, specifically with their boxing, right? That's something we're definitely seeing a huge improvement from Chris Delkis. Hand speed, uh, precision, and just ability to you know find the target, I think is really good. I think that Chase Sherman has a little bit of issues with that. But again, durability, a huge question mark here for Mr. Parker Porter. All right, let's move on to the Coleman event here, and I can't wait to get into this one. We got uh, minus 155 for Mark Madsen, now training at Fight Ready. That's obviously very important to lay out here. He's been there for about three months. He's taken on the Carpenter, the veteran Clay Guido, plus 135. Uh, in terms of line movement here, we did see some uh, Marco Madsen actually open up at minus 125, get down to around minus 170, and then that money came back in on Clay Guido here. Uh I'm actually in your line of thinking in this spot, and you know you are Mr. Dog Country yourself, so I'll let you break this one down a little bit heavier than me. But again, cardio is the main factor here, right? The the output and the pace of Clay Guida is going to be something difficult for Mark Madsen to keep up with, and you don't just see guys, you know, fixing cardio issues from one fight to another. You need to see it over a, a period of time, and I'd be surprised if we see a huge improvement from him here. It's going to come down to round two. If Mark Madsen doesn't get him out of there in the first round with a submission, which I don't think is likely, uh, it's going to come down to who wins round two, because I'm at more than certain then Clay Guida is going to win round three. Even if he gets taken down in round three, I think that he'll have good enough get-ups to get back to his feet and then get start winning that round again. Um, yeah, I'll let you break this one down a little bit more, but I do like uh, Clay Guida here. Uh, Clay Guida, by decision, is currently sitting at plus 275. That's probably my, bet, my best bet for this uh, or best prop for this fight. I'd be surprised if Clay Guida actually finishes Mark Madsen here. I, you know, Mark Madsen, bad cardio. Almost got finished by Mark, uh, Austin Hubbard. I think Hubbard would have an easier time finishing Madsen than what Guida is going to be bringing to the table here. But yeah, I like Guida. His pace, output, uh, his inability to stay still, <laughs> I think is the the main reason I think he's going to win this fight. And then obviously by decision. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, so I'll be honest here. I'm more worried about the vitamins they have over at Fight Ready than I am for <laughs> anything Mark Madsen's going to do in an MMA fashion to Clay Guida here. Um I don't really understand the line, to be completely honest. Even, you know, I keep hearing, you know, maybe enter on Guido live, but even live, like what, even round one, is Mark Madsen a lock to win round one in this fight? You know, we look at the guys Madsen's fought, you know, he finished Danilo Beluardo, who is not in the UFC, he lost two fights and was out. He went out there and he beat Austin Hubbard, and you touched on it, gassed out hard. But even in the early portion of that fight, you know, he landed virtually no strikes early in the fight. He pretty much was taking him down. Hubbard was giving his back and getting up without any issue at all. He wasn't putting hooks in. He was just kind of controlling the position. Hubbard doesn't scramble. I mean, that's just the reality here. It's one of the reasons I like the Pichel sub is because Hubbard's not going to scramble out of bad positions. Now you take Clay Gita, a guy who is an excellent scrambler. You know, he's fought much better MMA grapplers than Mark Madsen and won scrambles there and had competitive grappling matches. And so 
for me, you look at this and it's like Mark Madsen to win this fight pretty much has to toss Clay Greta around and do kind of what he did to Hubbard. He, I don't think he's going to get him in the position on the mat where he can KO him ground and pound. I just don't really think that's going to – it would be very surprising, especially because it's not like we haven't seen Gita in a couple of years. We saw him a couple months ago, and he looks pretty good. Um, so I don't think that's going to happen. And so he needs to maintain control and maintain a body lock to win this fight. And we just have never seen anybody control Gita like that before. And I, I – on the if Gita can get, get away and get a distance – I think he's clearly the better striker. I think he clearly hits harder, to be honest. You know, people forget because Gita's been fighting, you know, just much better strikers recently. Gita actually hits pretty hard. And then in, even in terms of the grappling, I heard from somebody who I trust that Roskopf, when he was training with Madsen, was tapping him in the gym pretty consistently. Now, I'm not saying whether or not Gita's a better submission grappler than Roskopf is, but I do think there's a lot of questions about what happens if Madsen gets taken down. You know, I keep seeing people hearing people say, oh, he's an Olympic wrestler, but that's not – you're not an Olympic wrestler in takedown defense on the cage. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're not an Olympic wrestler in jiu-jitsu. You know, you're a wrestler. Like, what happens when he gets put on his back? Is he going to give it up? Is he just going to get stuck there? You know, both of those are very live outcomes. And so I guess my view more or less is I agree with you. I think round three is probably going to be one-way traffic. Uh, but even in the early rounds, I expect Gita to be able to scramble out of control. And given the dynamic striking, Matson's going to – it's very hard for Madsen to win this fight without building up a ton of control. And so I think Gita should be a pretty significant favorite here. Or not significant, but like 60-65%. I think Madsen's best chance to win this fight, or not best chance, but I think, you know, I think he's more live for a guillotine than he is for his cleanly beating blanketing Gita for three rounds, to be honest, because Clay does have that tendency to stick his neck, you know, into guillotines. We've seen it over and over. But yeah, I mean, I just think the line is very wrong. I think it's very easy to look at what someone's done wrestling to regional bums and Austin Hubbard and say, oh, they're going to ragdoll Clay Gita. Like, okay, I don't really buy it. If it happens, okay, great. I'm wrong. But I think this should be Clay all day. In terms of props, you know, I touched on the thing, you know, with Mads getting tapped in the gym. I think there's two ways to look at this, to be honest. It's either Gita late round props, like round three, because uh, that's very live. Gita sub is plus 700, which isn't awful. But again, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty built into, you know, Madsen. Because if he does have decent submission defense now, he probably survives. To be honest, what I like the most is probably Gita decision. You know, plus 300 Gita decision. Gita wins in round three. Looking at about plus 2,000, I think that's pretty good as well. But that's how I'd split it up. But I think Gita's going to take care of business here. I bet him pretty big on the money line. I'll probably add to his decision line. Yeah, I'd be surprised if he actually gets to finish in this spot. I think plus 300 on that decision prop is, is some money here. We know that's Guida's normal path to victory. And again, he's going to have this guy out cardio. So I'd be surprised if uh, Marco Madsen actually has enough to actually win two full rounds of activity, especially against a guy like Clay Guida. All right, main event time. And another time for me to remind you guys, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then go over there and follow John as well on Twitter, at MMAFox. His Twitter handle is right there on the screen for you guys. Jared Cannonier minus 145, going up against Kelvin Gaston, plus 125. Uh, Cannonier opened up at as a minus 225 favorite, has quickly gotten bet down. Shout out to anybody that got Gaston at plus 185 or better. Even plus 150 or better, to be honest, because I think that Gaslam actually should win this fight. I'm kind of itching my head in terms of where is Jared Cannonier actually better than him outside of power and some good leg kicks. You know, outside of that, I think Gaslam, you know, uh, he is a little bit rudimentary with the striking, but his blitzing attacks with that one two down the middle and also his hook. Uh, I believe it's his right hook, which is pretty nasty as well. Uh, obviously, a ton of power in his strikes as well. I think that's definitely something that we need to 
give a little bit more respect. It seems like people are forgetting that Kevin Gaslam actually has some power in his hands. And then also that Kevin Gaslam wrestling and scrambling and jujitsu, I think it's still good, but people are kind of shitting on it because he got heel hooked by Jared or uh, Jack Hermanson a couple fights ago. I think we need to remember that he's actually still a good wrestler. Uh, I think that will come into play if this fight at least reaches the third round because I think it's going to be difficult for Gaslam to get anything off in those first two rounds with much certainty, especially with him having to worry about the big power coming his way from Jared Cannonier. Cannonier could be the first guy to stop Kevin Gaslam by punches. He absolutely has the power to do so, but I'm not going to believe that until I actually see Kevin Gaslam's chin get cracked. And truly... I don't think that Jerry Cannonier is truly that good. The guy has good power. That's really about it. Again, good ca- good kicks as well when he really uh, sets in on them. Um, but I think that Gaslam should be able to beat him in this spot. I think people are just quick to write off Kelvin Gaslam, especially considering that he's 1-4 in four in his last five fights. But it's not like he's losing the bums. Robert Whitaker, Israel Adesani, the Jack Hermanson, Hulk, that one was a little bit weird. But he's losing the quality opponents. That five fights ago, he's fighting for the interim uh, uh, middleweight strap. Like the guy is still up there, and he's only twenty nine years old. So I feel like you know he might have some fight, fight miles on his body, but I still believe that he has the potential to go out there and be you know what we believe he is, and I think he still is. And I think that this is a perfect matchup for him to go out there and showcase that. So in terms of the props, how I'm going to be looking to to tackle this. Um, if you have access to alternate props over three and a half, I really like that's something that Clint actually brought up when I did a show earlier this week. But minus one, th- minus 125 for over three and a half, I don't think that's a bad spot. I think that Gaslam's durability will hold up, and I think that Cannoneer's durability will hold up for at least three and a half rounds. Then we get to find out what's his cardio like. Once we actually find out what Cannoneer's cardio is like, especially going into round four and five, then we'll see will Gaslam be able to finish this fight? Will he be able to ground it, get his jiu-jitsu going, possibly find a choke of some sort? Could happen. So I like, uh, I think it was actually Legs who I heard on your show talking about Gaslam rounds four, five, and decision. If you have access to that prop, I think that's a great prop. But even if you just play them, you know, separately, as I think most people uh, who don't have access to FanDuel and DraftKings in those uh, spots, plus 23.25 for Gaslam in round four, plus 31.50 for Gaslam in round five, and then Gaslam by decision uh, is sitting at uh, plus 245. Those are the spots I like. Am I not giving enough credence to Jared Cannonier, or do you think Gaslam takes this fight as well? I don't. I. I it's. I, I. I'm almost speechless here, and like I said it on my podcast last night. But like, I very rarely have trouble imagining in my head how a fight will play out, even if I'm wrong about how it ends up playing out. I usually at least have a feeling about like how I think that fight's going to play out. And with this one, I really struggle to to like have any kind of feeling about it. You know, the weird thing about Jared Cannonier is. I still don't even know if we know what he is. You know, he loses to Jan at light at light heavyweight, which again that was at the start of Jan's run. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. He gets knocked out by Reyes in about two minutes. Uh, can't take anything from it. But then you look at his next three fights after that. You know, we have the very the Silva fight, which is you know Silva just died, gets his leg kicked off. You have the David Branch fight, where look, I mean, he showcased some good defensive grappling in that fight. Uh, and eventually KO'd him, but Branch basically gassed out before he got KO'd. You know, he was winning the fight pretty clear, cleanly. And in fairness, you know, Branch is a good grappler, so, you know, nothing wrong with that. And then the Hermanson fight's almost identical. You know, he doesn't gas out, but he outgrapples him for a round and then gets knocked out. Um, and so then you have the Whitaker fight where, again, I don't know how much to take from that because Whitaker's the former champ and is pretty clearly the second best fighter in that division. And so is Cannoneer this changed guy from light heavyweight? I'm not really sure. He might be. He might not be. What I will say is he hits very hard. Uh, He seems to be very, very durable, and he kicks legs very well. But he's also remarkably low output, and he doesn't grapple. And with Kelvin, you know, I agree with you. I think Kelvin's – 
he's in this weird spot where like I think him getting tattered as a top three to five guy was probably always overstating the case a little bit just based on how he kind of built that up there. But I think we saw in the Ian fight, you know, he is, you know, he's a top 15 guy, you know, he can, his boxing is good enough that he can compete really with anybody. Um, and so you have Kelvin who's fought, you know, as good or better competition than Cannoneer, you know, he can, I think in terms of boxing, I think he's the better boxer. And then you have Cannoneer who has all this uncertainty, but the one thing they both have in common is they're both extremely durable. That is, you know, Gastelum basically is a concrete chin and cannot be finished. And Cannoneer is, you know, look, I mean, look at that Whitaker fight. You know, that guy had a broken <laughs> arm and was just getting yeah. beat off on for two rounds and still almost comes back in that round three, you know? And so I think those are the two things you can count on in terms of the fight itself. I, like I said, I don't have a great read as to how it's going to play out. I kind of side with, Gastelum by decision, like plus 400, I kind of like, because I do think in a fight that's going to be probably very low volume where I'd be surprised if either guy gets finished, one of them is going to be throwing more head strikes than the other. And that guy's Gastelum, almost everything Gastelum does is to the head. It's all boxing based and whether for better or worse, and I think worse, but the reality is judges score head strikes better than leg strikes. It's just, you know, the way it is. And so I'd expect Gaslam's optics to be a bit better. He's probably going to be on the front foot more. He's going to land more head strikes. Um, you know, if he wobbled Cannonier a couple of times, it wouldn't shock me. And it wouldn't shock me if Cannonier wobbled him a couple of times. But ultimately, like I think goes the distance is a good bet at plus 100. I'm kind of leaning Kelvin. But again, I don't have a great feel for it. But if I was going to bet a prop on a side, it would be Kelvin by decision at plus 400. I like it. I like it. Yeah, for me, the, the rounds four and five Gaslam thing is more so that I just want to see what Cannoneer's gas tank looks like that they didn't fight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it covers that outcome. Much, right? Yeah, for sure. Exactly. All right. That is pretty much the card. We got through it at just the hour mark. I fucking love that. Uh, but we are going to end the show uh, with the three best prop apps from me, John, and uh, Cody. I'm going to be giving you guys Cody's as well. Unfortunately, no fan fancy uh, graphics for you guys this week so you guys are just gonna have to hear it from our mouths here so i'll kick things off first and foremost i like me some brian kelleher inside the distance plus 110 again plus 125 was obviously a better number earlier in the week but still i think at that plus money that's more than likely his best win condition in this fight inside the distance plus 110 secondly i like roy valve and pantoja fight doesn't go to decision minus 105 that's another prop that i really like i think it's going to be a chaotic fight pantoja early or roy valve late you can also poke that roy valve round three prop if you like i think it's around plus 1400 or plus 1600 and then lastly i like vince michelle via decision at plus 170 i think that's how he gets it done but for john's sake i will be praying and hoping for that submission prop because you know if davy ha was going to do it Vince Michelle probably could. I'll quickly give you guys <laughs> Cody's, and then we're going to go over to John here. Cody likes Saldana and Lingo fight goes to decision, minus 125. He likes Porter and Sherman fight goes to decision at plus 150. And lastly, he likes, I don't like this one, but he likes it, Ignacio Bajamundes via decision plus 300. That's where he's going with. John, what are your three favorite props here? Yeah, so my first one is going to be actually Kelleher wins by decision at about plus 400 there. Uh, my next one is going to be Pichelle by sub. Obviously, like I mentioned, you know, you can get it at plus 2,000 on DraftKings or BetMGM. If you can get it over plus 1,200 or better, I think I like that spot a lot. Uh, and then the last one is going to be it's a combination of Sherman uh, ITD, which is plus 150, and Sherman in round one, which is plus 300. I just split the difference on those two. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's what I like this week. 
Perfect, perfect. All right, you guys already know I'm out in Vegas. Uh, if you want to follow my misadventures and my adventures and all that type of shit, check out my Instagram. I'm going to be posting most of my uh, most of my stuff on there at MMA LOTN on Instagram. There, obviously, you guys can follow me at MMA on Twitter or at MMA LOTN on Twitter as well. You guys can follow John at MMA Fox. It's obviously on the screen there. Uh, John, anything you want to say on the back end here? I'd say first successful show, right? We got some great. Yeah, guys. yeah. I, I love it. Anything you want to say on the back end here? No, I had a great time. It's going to be a lot more fun next week when we do it at the uh, regular time. Maybe maybe I'll have a Modelo as well that time since it won't be towards the end of my work day. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Hopefully, yeah, I had well, a great time. I'm pumped for it. Guys, bet Clay Gita, I'm telling you. <laughs> do the right thing. I love like uh, John's tweet earlier this week was, don't bet Mark, Mark Madsen. And I swear you've had a bunch of people like, stop talking about Mark Madsen. Let him bet <laughs> Mark Madsen. <laughs> No, I love it. I love it. Uh, me and John have great chemistry as always, as you guys obviously saw over the last hour or so. So I'm very much looking forward to these fight night editions of Propping You Up that we're going to be doing. Um, and then Cody will be back, obviously, for the pay-per-view episodes. But he's going to stay with us by dropping us our uh, three best props at the end of the, the show as well. Um, all right. That, that's pretty much a wrap. I will be back tomorrow for the Ultimate Wayne show. That will probably go down between 5 and 6 p.m. Eastern time. I don't have the, the cast set up yet. Uh, I had two guys that I had on both build on me last minute. So uh, I'm going to have the, some late last minute replacements coming in to try to save the show for us. But uh, tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern is going to be the start time. And I'll be doing it live from Circus Sportsbook as well. Nice. So it should be a nice little background there for us as well. Um, all right. On behalf of myself and from John, good luck on your best this weekend. And I'll see you guys tomorrow for the Ultimate Wayne Show, War, Brian Kelleher, and Clay Guida. Hell yeah. Let's go. <laughs>